Let us be God's people in prayer. Grant, gracious God, that the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, all that we offer to you now in this time of worship and of praise, your word proclaimed, our understanding deepened, our lives and love expanded, enriched, empowered for the living of these days, the body of Christ, your disciples in all the world. Amen. First, this morning from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The prophets were individuals within the, the family, the home, the people of Israel who were touched by that spirit. The spirit didn't come at Pentecost. The spirit appeared at Pentecost in a new and wondrous way, but the spirit had been moving from the very beginning, of course. In Genesis, the spirit moved over the face of the deep, the ruach, and God took and fashioned from mud a human being and breathed the ruach into the human being. The spirit of God filled the hearts and minds of the prophets to draw them more closely, fully immerse them in the experience of God's presence. The prophets ceased to be those who were happy, like most of us, myself included, to keep God at an appropriate distance, perhaps at the margins, um, to be called upon uh, from time to time, but not to become the center point of our existence. But of course, for the prophets, God was the very center. God called the people Israel. God, the prophets call us back to that lively sense that nothing in life, no moment, no experience, no thought or word, no action, no deed, no choice, no affiliation, affection or allegiance are absent the presence of God, are beyond God's knowing. God is in all of it. God is the very center and at the margins and through it all. Isaiah was a priest who was overtaken by the Spirit while he was in the temple attending to the rites and rituals of the sacrificial system of the temple. And in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, we hear his account of this experience that took place in the reign of Uzziah. There was no universal calendar in those days, so time was marked by the reigns of kings, monarchs, princes, etc. And in this narrative, there appear some strange creatures, seraphim, who seem to be some kind of angelic or heavenly beast, that express and communicate and transform Isaiah in the process. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Yahweh, the one who created all. I saw God sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. 
and seraphim were in attendance above God. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. In the Hebrew, chabod, chabod, chabod. Holy, holy, holy. To be holy. The heaviness, the fullness, the power, the otherness of God. That God is so far beyond us. This presence of God now revealed to Isaiah. And the hinges on the doorposts and the thresholds themselves shook at the voices of those seraphim who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have seen the sovereign one of the universe. My eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Isaiah has had an experience that all of us long for, but also fear that we will actually see God. Because when we know that when we, are, when we are fully in the presence of God, our lives will cease to be our own. We will come to the full understanding that we are God's. Not unto ourselves. And then one of the seraphim flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of the tongs. And the seraph touched my mouth and said, Now this burning coal has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Amen. So in this passage, brief but full of meaning, Isaiah goes from the point of being, woe is me, for I have seen the Lord, feeling completely inadequate and so unclean that he ought not to be in presence of the Holy One, to now standing to proclaim, having been found his sin, his lips cauterized and his sins abolished by the loving presence of the seraph who brings to him the burning coals from the incense, here am I, send me. This gift 
is not restricted to Isaiah in the inner sanctum of the temple thousands of years in the past. But this God who is at the center of the temple is at the center of the universe and of our lives and is reaching out to us in love not to assure us that everything that we've ever done is good because Lord knows it's not. God is reaching out to us in love so that we can restore our relationship with God to have, in a sense, our lives transformed, cauterized, as it were, so that our guilt may be washed away, our shame may be overcome in the light of God's love, and that our sin we will know, finally, truly, that God seeks not to punish us, but to restore us, so our sin will wash away. You are a child of God. I am a child of God. This is a basic affirmation of our tradition, of our faith. But, but do we really believe it? I think in many cases, if we're honest with ourselves, probably not. We may subscribe to the idea that other people are certainly the, the child of God, but probably not me, because I'm, you know, I know who I am, and I'm so well acquainted with my ways that I'm, I'm probably beyond the pale, beyond the reach of God's love. I think if the Trinity is teaching us anything, it is in this father-mother love of God, which expresses itself in the creation and the sustenance of our days and in the ways in which God reaches out to us in so many ways, and in the ministry, the redemption, the experience of God's own self and the person, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, that our suffering is restored and somehow renewed and we are redeemed as we share in the unjust suffering that is so much a part of life and in the spirit that abides with us. This multi-layered, multi-faceted way in which God is for and with us in all things can be the beginning point of our understanding of ourselves as truly children of God. So from the, Paul's letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter, verses 12 through 17, I'll read today uh, from the translation known as the message. So then you see, in, in chapter 8, let me say, in chapter 8, Paul is pointing out how history is divided into two epochs, that which occurred before Jesus' life, his death, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, into a second epoch, everything that follows after that resurrection. Paul writes these words about 30 years, a full generation after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so he writes in chapter 8, Verse 12, so then do you not see that we don't owe the old do-it-yourself life 
One red cent. In the old times, he says, before the sacrifice of Christ, we had to take care of everything ourselves, we thought. We had to somehow save ourselves. But no. Now, he says, there is nothing in that old do-it-yourself life. Nothing at all. The best thing you can do is to give that old way of thinking and living a decent burial and to get on with your new life. For God's spirit beckons you with things to do and places to go. This resurrection life, which you have received from God, is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant so that we might greet God with a childlike question, where next to shall we go, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who God is and we know who we are. Children of God. We know that we are going in a way in which we will get what is coming to us, that great inheritance, to go through exactly with Christ what Christ has gone through, that suffering, going through those hard times with him, then we certainly know that we are going to go through the good times with him as well. Amen. We know who God is and we know who we are, children of God, and that we're going to go through the hard times and Christ will go with us through the good times as well. Richard Rohr has written, On my own, I don't know how to believe that I am a child or heir of God. On my own, I don't know how to believe that I am a child of God. It is in being together in our wholeness with the entire body of Christ that makes it somehow easier to believe that we are beautiful. This is a great phrase. It's in being together with the whole body of Christ becomes easier to believe that we are children of God, that we are beautiful. This is the power, of course, of the church, the unconditional acceptance the ready welcome, the extravagant welcome that we receive. I want to share with you a couple of passages from a wonderful book that Dr. Jerry Karoglian lent to Jerry and me several weeks ago. It's entitled, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. I don't know if you've read it or heard of it. It's written by Charlie Maxey who is uh, from Great Britain, has lived much of his life in Africa. It's a book, as he says, that is written for those who are eight and those who are 80. 
and everywhere in between. Wonderful illustrations, and it's a great little book. I, I've spent a lot of time with it. So the horse, there's the boy, the little boy, the mole, you know, burrowing under the ground, a fox, and a horse. And they're on a journey together, the journey of life. And the horse, in the course of the narrative, becomes the font of great wisdom by which they each find their own true way. Sometimes I worry that you'll all realize I'm ordinary, said the boy. And the mole replied, love doesn't need you to be extraordinary. You don't have to be extraordinary. You just have to be you. God doesn't want you to be anybody but who you are. You are enough, just the way you are. And then the horse asked them a question. We all need a reason to keep going, said the horse. What's your reason? Said the fox, you three. The boy, the mole, the horse, for the fox became the reason to keep going. It's that community. And then the boy asked the horse, do you have any other advice to give us? Yes, said the horse. Do not measure how valuable you are by the way other people treat you. Do not measure how valuable you are by the way you are treated by other people. Always remember, no matter, you're important and you are loved and you bring to this world, you bring to this world things that no one else can. And the horse concludes, sometimes all you hear about is the hate. But there is more love in this world than you could possibly imagine. Sometimes all you hear about is the hate. But there is more love in this world than you could possibly imagine. We know who God is, wrote Paul, and we know who we are children, each one of us, the child of God. We will go through the hard times, yes, and Christ will be with us, and we will certainly grow through the good times, again, with Christ 
or in community, in the body of Christ, in our love for each other, each of us will discover, yes, I too, even me, a child of God. Amen.